Well, how are you guys doing today? You good? Good. I'm glad to hear it. Today is a great day. I love today. It's my favorite part of this series. Um, we are in week three of a four-week series all about the afterlife, all about heaven. And today is my favorite day because we're actually talking about the sights and the sounds and the feel of heaven. Um, scripture is incredibly descriptive about it. The problem is, is that the church doesn't really talk about it a whole lot. Yet when you put all the scripture together and you talk about what heaven is going to be like, you can actually get a really good sense of what it, what it can and will be like. And I want to say this for this series, even if you haven't crossed the line of faith yet, Even if you are here checking out the Jesus thing, checking out the God thing, maybe this is what's missing in your life. My hope is that not only will today and this series make you really kind of excited about what is to come after our life on this planet is over, um, our life on this earth is over, but that you might actually be ready to step across the line of faith and follow Jesus with your life, that you will want to be in heaven with God. So let me recap where we have been um, to kind of catch those of you that maybe missed one of the last couple of weeks weeks up, but it kind of is a foundation that we've been laying. Um, In week one, we talked about the big idea. Uh, The main point and thought of the day was this. Everyone lives forever somewhere. That was the whole idea. Everyone lives forever. We all have this sense of the eternal inside of us. Um, every, uh, every generation of people, every culture of people have this idea of an afterlife. Um, and it comes from uh, the fact that God actually put that in us into our DNA of being human. Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, he, God, has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. So there's not a real question. All of us always want to know what happens when we die. And we know that the box that we're put in or the urn or whatever happens to us when we die isn't it. We know there's something else. Now, not only do we know that there is an eternity, we know that people have been there and come back. Now, what am I talking about? Um, We've been kind of from the beginning of this series. Doctors and researchers have been studying for years, for decades, this global phenomenon called near-death experiences. They call them NDEs, where people from around the globe have died on operating tables in accidents and were brought back to life. Over the advances in medicine over the last 50 to 100 years, we are getting more people back from the dead than ever before. Some people dead up to 10 minutes, um, flatlined, no electrical activity in their brain or in their body, where researchers have said before then there is no possible way that anyone can have any lucid memories of anything happening during the time where we have no electrical activity in our mind or our body, yet there are people that are in that state for up to 10 minutes and come back and have a story to tell of things they saw, of seeing their bodies laying on the ground, laying on operating tables and being able to describe what's being done and who was doing it. And what researchers are finding is that um, people who have these near-death experiences have these common core experiences that are the same no matter what religion, what faith background, um, what cultural background you have, um, leading many scientists to say, That there is evidence that points to there being life after death. It's not a belief and a hope. Scientists are saying, hey, we can't explain this. We can't explain the commonality around the globe of everyone who has gone to the other side and come back. And what's interesting is almost all of the common elements line up with the biblical description of heaven. 
That was all week one, okay? I gave you week one in like three minutes. Now, week two, we talked last week, we talked about heaven and hell. Talked about how to get to heaven and how to avoid hell. And the main statement of last week was, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Yay, man, you got gold stars for all of you. Just give them to Jesus when you get to heaven. You'll get something for it. Um, No, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. It's not about being more good than bad. It's not about being better than the person next to you. It's about being forgiven for your sin by believing in Jesus Christ. Only through a relationship with Jesus Christ is our name written in the book of life, which we'll talk a little bit about next week. And I'll just tell you, let me tease next week a little bit. If you are curious about the end of the world as we know it, come back next week where we're going to be talking about uh, Jesus returning to earth, okay? We're going to be talking about, um, I don't know if the apocalypse is, is how you say it, but we're going to get into stuff in Revelation that a lot of people, a lot of churches don't want to touch, but I think it's so descriptive for this topic that we need to talk about it. So if you're interested in that, come back next week. Um, but here's the whole reason we're doing this series that's found in this verse in Colossians. Colossians 3, 1 1 and 2, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, heaven. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. We are encouraged in scripture, if you are a believer in Jesus, to focus our hearts and minds on heaven, yet even as believers, even though Jesus has set uh, heaven and, and eternity in our hearts, We focus our hearts and minds more on this earth than heaven. We focus our hearts and minds and dreams on our retirement more than we do an eternity in heaven. And we use this rope to kind of illustrate this. And so I want you to think of this rope as it going on forever, kind of off the stage, and it just continues on. It never ends. And I want you to imagine this rope as a timeline of your existence. And this red little, little red part represents your time on earth. You've got a few short years here. You have 60, 70, 80, maybe 90 if you're really nice to your parents when you were little. Um, like you've got, you've got a few short years here and then you've got eternity. You've got a little while here when you compare it to all of eternity. Our time here is so short, yet for so many of us, all we think about is the red part. All we dream about is the red part. And we don't even dream and think about the whole red part. Actually, we dream and think about this little end red part because right now, what are all of us working towards? Having an end red part where we don't have to do anything, right? We're just dreaming and thinking about retirement. Heaven isn't on our radar because we're so focused on this. We're so focused on working hard, obsessing, 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 doing everything right, getting everything in order so that we can hopefully enjoy this much of our life here on earth. Well, I will tell you, there's a reason why we dream more about retirement than we do about heaven. It's because we can visualize retirement, right? We can think about the house that we want to be in, where we want to live. Um, we can, we can th- think about the car we want to drive, the golf course we want to live on and play on. We can obsess and obsess and obsess on how we want to do this. But what about the hundreds and the thousands of years that we will spend in eternity? Now, let me just say this. There is nothing wrong with retirement. I hope that you do really well in your life and you have the retirement that you have always dreamed of having. But I want you to be able to visualize heaven in such great detail that your dreams and hopes about retirement move to the backseat and heaven fills the front windshield of your life. The hope that's found in heaven, the description of heaven. Not that retirement's bad, but that heaven is so much better and that you might live with your mind on things above and your heart on things above instead of down below here on earth.
So let me pray before we dive into the scriptures. Um, Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity we have to talk about what you've been preparing for us since the beginning of time as we know it, Lord. I just pray that you would open our hearts and minds to hearing your voice loud and clear. Jesus, help us to see things new. Help us to hear things we've never heard. And Lord, I pray that you would fill us up with a hope that can only come from the eternity that you've described and built for us. God, fill us up with that hope so that we might walk out of here a little bit lighter, a little more hopeful, and a little more um, full of your presence and the joy that you give to all of those who believe in you. In your holy name, amen. So today I want to give you three word pictures of heaven, okay? I want to talk about what heaven will look like. Um, I want to talk about what our bodies will be like. And I want to talk about who we will be with. And so I'm going to give you a word picture for each one of those three things. The first word picture I have is on what heaven will look and feel like to help us visualize heaven. I'm going to call this word picture mansions, neighborhoods, and cul-de-sacs. Okay, mansions, neighborhoods, and cul-de-sacs. When Jesus spoke about heaven, he deliberately chose common physical terms. John 14, 2. There, this is Jesus speaking. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. Now, the King James Version of the Bible, which we don't read a whole lot anymore, um, but I know when I was a kid it was used really prevalently. You just can't understand a lot of the words in it um, as well as you can some of the newer translations. But um, when I was growing up, the King James Version said, in my father's mansion there are many rooms. And so that's where that mansions, neighborhoods, and cul-de-sacs. Let me break down this passage. Um, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, a place by nature, is physical. What we are suited for, what we've been strategically designed for by God is a place like the one that God made for us, earth. A real place, a tangible place filled with community. This mansion or home is a place for us to live. This is not just this one time in scripture where Jesus uses or where we're told that there are homes and dwelling places and community um, and it's a physical place in heaven. Because I know some of us think, what could heaven be like? And I don't want to go sit on some stupid cloud playing a harp for eternity. Not my idea of fun. That's me, okay? That's not, I do not, I'm not excited about that. But as we start talking about a real place with a real place to live and it's tangible and there's community, I'm kind of like, okay, this is kind of cool. I think I can wrap my arms around, around this. In Isaiah 65, the prophet Isaiah, um, he describes heaven and talks about what people will do there. Verse 21, they will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. For as the days of a tree, so will be the days of my people. My chosen ones will long enjoy the works of their hands. What is that telling us that we're going to be doing? We will build homes and live in them. We will plant food and then eat that food. What is that pointing to? There is an industriousness to heaven. There is work to be done. No longer will we earn money and the government take 30%. There's no taxes in heaven, right? Can I get an amen? Anybody? Right? There's no taxes in heaven. We're not going to work and somebody else take it. But we're going to work and we're going to have roles. We're going to have things to do and we will completely love it. We will enjoy the work of our hands. And I'll just tell you, this is different. For here, work is a burden to so many of us. And I would say most of us, work is a burden. 
Many of us, why do we focus on retirement? Because it's the absence of work, right? That's why we want to get there so bad, because work is a burden. But there, work becomes a joy. Work becomes something that you live for. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John was taken in the spirit up to heaven, got a glimpse, and he was told, write down everything that you see. And in Revelation 21... He writes, so he took me in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God and sparkled like a precious stone, like jasper, as clear as crystal. The city wall was broad and high with 12 gates guarded by 12 angels and the names of the 12 tribes of Israel were written on the gates. There were three gates on each side, east, north, south, and west. Many scholars think that the gates described around the city of Jerusalem means that there's territories outside of these gates that we will be able to explore. Those of you that like to travel, traveling doesn't stop when your life here ends. I think traveling just begins. There's so many more descriptive passages in Scripture about this city, and this is just Jerusalem. It's kind of a central focal point in Scripture um, where God kind of centers his dwelling on earth around. Well, Jerusalem shows up in the afterlife, and the way it's described, you've got to go read. Go read Revelation 21, but it it's a, gives us dimensions on this city, 1,400 miles wide, 1,400 miles long, 1,400 miles high. It's a 1,400-mile cubed is the dimensions of this city, and just so you know what that means, that means that each floor, if, there's, if you did floors, it would be 600,000 floors tall. The dimensions of each floor would be 2 million square miles. So just this city is that massive. We're given all this detail. You want to be in this city, but in the city, verse 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there. And this is consistent throughout scripture that there's no darkness in heaven. There's no night. And you might be thinking, well, what about sleeping? And I just wonder, do we even need to sleep there? You won't be tired. There's no tiredness. There's no weariness in heaven that's consistent throughout. Will we even need to sleep? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We'll find out when we get there. But this also speaks of this great community in heaven, the nations of the earth. Did you catch that? The nations of the earth will be there. The city will never shut its gates, meaning what? You can kind of pull from that that it's safe. There are no enemies in this city. There's no fear of attack. And we are free to come and go as we please. We're free to travel. Now, to kind of flesh this out a bit, I want to share with you a story from a book called Imagine Heaven that a few years ago, um, I got a hold of this book, and it just kind of expanded my heart and my mind towards heaven. And basically, um, it's a man named, uh, named uh, John Burke. He studied a 1,000 near-death experiences from people around the globe, sat down with almost all of them, and got their stories and the stories that they told were amazing and, and, and consistent throughout around the globe. One of the stories that is told is from an airline pilot named Dale Black. He was in a small plane crash. He was dead, flatlined, found himself suddenly floating over his body. And the plane wreckage, which he can describe the scene of which he was dead, he should not even know about the scene, but saw it. And then he tells of being escorted by two angels through a long tunnel to the great city of Jerusalem. And this is how he describes it. He says, I was fast approaching a magnificent city, golden and gleaming among a myriad of resplendent colors. The light I saw was the purest I had ever seen, and the music was the most magnificent, enchanting, and glorious I had ever heard. 
I was still approaching the city, but now I was slowing down like a plane making its final approach. I knew instantly that this place was entirely and utterly holy. Don't ask me how I knew. I just knew. I was overwhelmed by its beauty. It was breathtaking, and a strong sense of belonging filled my heart. I never wanted to leave. Somehow I knew I was made for this place, and this place was made for me. The entire city was bathed in light, an opaque whiteness in which the light was intense but diffused. In that dazzling light, every color imaginable seemed to exist, and what's the right word? Played. The colors seemed to be alive, dancing in the air. The closer I got to the city, the more distinct the illumination became. The light was palpable. It had a substance to it, weight and thickness like nothing I'd ever seen before. Remarkably, the light didn't shine on things, but through them, through the grass, through the trees, through the wall, and through the people who were gathered there. There was a huge gathering of angels and people, millions, countless millions, gathered in a central area that seemed over 10 miles in diameter. Between the central part of the city and the city walls were groupings of brightly colored, picture-perfect homes in small, quaint towns. Each home was customized and unique from the others, yet blended harmoniously. Some were there, some were three or four stories tall, some were even higher. There were no two the same. If music could become homes, it would look like these, beautifully built and perfectly balanced. And you might be sitting there going, you really believe all that stuff? Do you realize everything that he just described is consistent with what Scripture says? Every single detail. And the most interesting thing about this book, Imagine Heaven, is that everybody's stories have similar parts in them and everyone has this sense of awe and belonging and connection to this place. But one of the most surprising things that you find in Scripture that isn't talked about in the church a whole lot is actually where heaven will eventually be. And this is really important because we can actually get a sense of what it might be like. When we think of heaven now, it's this faraway place up in the sky, somewhere out there that God is making his home, um, which many scholars actually say is biblically accurate. Heaven is not here now, and they have a term for it. They call it intermediate heaven. It's a temporary place where God is making his home and where his throne is and where we go when we pass from this life to the next for now. Here's why they call it intermediate heaven. When you get to Revelation 21, the end of the Bible, John, who was taken to heaven, writes this. Revelation 21, 1 through 4, God allowed him to see the future. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new, what is that word? Earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, which was just described by Isaiah, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. We read this verse, and there's other verses in Scripture that very clearly tell us that heaven's eventual resting place will be where? Earth. A new heaven and a new earth. For the old earth... And the old heavens have passed away. They were no more. And I will just tell you this. This earth that we live in right now is completely under the curse of sin. Everyone that lives on this planet is under the curse of sin. Scripture says that even creation groans under the weight of the curse, eagerly anticipating the coming of Jesus Christ where he will make all things new. Again in Isaiah 65, it will be so good and so grand, this new heaven and new earth, that Isaiah says, look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth. And no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Be glad, rejoice forever in my creation. And look, I will create Jerusalem as a place of happiness. Her people will be a source of joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and delight in my people in the sound of weeping 
and crying will be heard no more. This new heaven and new earth will be so good and so glorious that the old things of this earth we live on now won't even come to mind. We won't forget them, but we won't be dwelling on them all day long like we do now. They will be a distant memory because the new heaven and the new earth are so good. I've always heard it this way, that if you want to know what heaven will be like, what we see now is a mere shadow of it. You can get a little bit of the shape, a little bit of the, the, the size of it. You can kind of see the edges of it, but the details we don't have yet. But Scripture gives them to us. I could talk about this for an hour. I'm just telling you, I had so much material I had to cut. It was ridiculous. Um, it's like all over the cutting room floor, uh, maybe in another series in another year. Um, but, uh, but, but I want to move on to the next picture because that's one picture. That's kind of what heaven will, will look like and feel like. The second word picture that I want to give you is about what our bodies will look like. And here is our word picture. It is Superman, Wonder Woman, and Captain America. That's the word picture, okay? Um, Superman, Wonder Woman, Captain America. Any superhero fans out there? Anybody? Okay, let me hear you. Any superhero fans out there? Yes, okay. Let me tell you why you should love every single superhero movie that you watch. Now, let me tell you about these superheroes, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Captain America. Superman can fly. He has super strength, super speed, mental powers. He's never tired. He can see through walls, okay? He can break through walls. He can do all kinds of great stuff. So that's Superman's powers from DC Comics, Wonder Woman. I think she has like the most coolest, the most coolest. I'm a professional speaker. It's what I do. The coolest, um, the coolest uh, superpowers, Wonder Woman. This is what they say on the DC Comics website. She has crazy reflexes. Um, she can glide through the air on wind currents. She has a very cool accent in the last movie. Um, super, she has superhuman speed, reflexes and agility. She has enhanced senses, including smell, vision, and hearing. She can speak all languages, has super healing, has telepathy, has animal empathy, and super breath. Okay? Now, I just got to tell you, I have super breath. It's in the morning before I brush my teeth. It is super, let me tell you. It can kill anything. Okay. So, uh, so that's Wonder Woman. Then you've got Captain America. What is he? Great looking. Right, ladies? He's great looking. Um, he never ages. He's always muscular and fit. He can run forget forever and not get tired. And I will just tell you this. There's a reason why we watch these movies and we are drawn to them and we are just enthralled by them. We get lost in the world. I believe we long to be like superheroes because deep in our souls, God has written it on our hearts that we know we will be that way in heaven. And I know some of you might be going, you are crazy and this is a crazy man I'm listening to. And I will just tell you this. Am I crazy? If I'm crazy, scripture's crazy. If I'm crazy, God's crazy because this is how God describes what our bodies will be like. Luke 20, verse 36, speaking, Jesus is speaking about those who have been raised from the dead in heaven. He says, and they will never die again. In this respect, they will be like angels. They are children of God and children of the resurrection. And now, we won't be angels, very specific, we will not be angels, but we will be like them in that we will never die. Philippians 3.21, he, Jesus, will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Now, I want to focus on the glorious bodies part, okay? That's what we're going to focus on. And I will just tell you this, no one in my entire life that I can remember has ever told me that I have a glorious body, okay? Not a single person. But there is a day coming. There is a day coming. Well, you will say that to me, and I will say that to you. There is a day coming that we will go, dang, wow, that is glorious. 
That is amazing. And this is really important because Jesus will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like whose? Like his. And this is where we miss this. These are perfect bodies that never experience disease or decay. They never degrade. We will be beautiful in everybody's eyes. In, in heaven, you will, you will not feel insecurity or arrogance about your appearance. You will never have to try and look beautiful. You will just be beautiful. After Jesus was crucified on the cross for our sin, he was raised from the dead. Over 500 eyewitnesses saw him, spent time with him for 40 days. During that time, he was in a resurrected body. He was in the kind of body that we're going to get. We are promised resurrection bodies like Jesus' body after the resurrection when he spent 40 days on earth. Now, what can we learn from this? And this is fascinating. You don't hear this a whole lot, but, but we can learn a lot just from reading about what Jesus' what Jesus's body was like and what he could do. First of all, his body was physical. Remember Doubting Thomas was like, I'm not going to believe that Jesus is alive until I see him with my own eyes and, and, and touch him with my own hands. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, touch the wound in my side, touch the, touch the nails in my wrist. He was a physical being. The disciples recognized him, meaning this, we will be recognizable and we will know each other in heaven. You will be you. I will be me. We will know each other. If we knew each other here, we will know each other there. Jesus could talk and eat. Scripture describes heaven with great banquets, tons of food. It is like a cruise ship in heaven, 24-7 food with zero calories, right? With zero calories. They don't go to your hips. Nothing like that. And this is where it gets fun. Jesus had special abilities like superheroes. And you might be going, you really believe this? Yes, this is Jesus we're talking about. I believe in Jesus. You know what that means? That means I believe everything he said. I believe everything he did as truth, as real. In John 20, Jesus suddenly appears in a room with the disciples. He came through a locked door without opening it. He could move through walls. In the book of Luke, Jesus revealed himself in his resurrected body to two uh, disciples walking along the road to Emus. And as soon as he revealed himself, he disappeared and showed up in another place. What does that mean? That we will probably be able to transport from one location to another in heaven. I know some of you are going, really, dude? Yes, Jesus did that. We're going to have his body. Or not his body, like his body. Maybe, maybe you can think of where you want to go and suddenly be there. Maybe that's how a city can be 600,000 stories tall. They don't need elevators. You just think where you want to go and you go there. That's what scripture says. Jesus just disappeared and showed up in another place. When Jesus left the earth, he defied gravity, ascended into the air. We can look at Jesus' resurrected body and go, whoa, that is what scripture tells us we're going to get someday. A body that never decays, never declines, and has superpowers. That's why you love superheroes. I'm telling you, that's why it is. Our skin color and tone and nationality transfer. Revelation 7, 9, John is speaking again. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. Every nature, nation and culture and ethnicity will be represented. It's likely that our, our, our height will not change, but like our, our, uh, our weight will be proportioned, right? Thank you, Jesus, right? Like we, like the, the, but but your, your skin tone, your nationality goes with you. It's like there, every nation, tribe, people, and language are constantly described in Scripture. 
God designed us with five senses. They will increase in power and sensitivity. We will stand on the new earth and we will see it, taste it, feel it, smell it, and hear it. 1 Corinthians 2, 9. This, that is what the scriptures mean when they say, no eye has seen, speaking of eyesight, no ear has heard, ears, no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. In this book, Thousands of people who have near-death experiences talk about the acuity of their senses. One man described traveling from heaven. He said, he said, at this time I became aware that I was not traveling alone, traveling to heaven. Accompanying me were two angelic escorts dressed in seamless white garments woven with silver threads, one on either side of me. Remarkably, my peripheral vision was enhanced and I could see both of their glowing faces at the same time. I could even see behind me while hardly moving my head. Another said, no bifocals needed. He said, I had instantly noted that my eyes were unlimited in range of vision, 10 inches or 10 miles. The focus was sharp and clear. Nearly all near-death experiences talk about how clear their eyesight is, how enhanced their senses are, more accurate, more acute. Um, They work differently there than they do here. Their other senses were extremely heightened. It's almost like the weight of sin and the, the, the blurry edges are removed and we're actually able to use the senses that God gave us in the way he designed them originally. Now, I have one last picture of heaven, and that is, um, who will we be with? And uh, before I give you this last point, we need to do our offering. And so, um, you know, while the streets in heaven are paved with gold, here isn't. So um, we're going to do our offering. <laughs> um, no, for ushers, you guys can come on down. Um, for those of you that, that are here for the first time, please let the basket go by. We are not interested in your resources. We're just glad that you're here. This service is our gift to you. Um, for those of you that call Kensington home, Thank you for giving um, and being on mission with us on a financial, from a financial perspective. We are giving back to God from what he's blessed us with. And while we do that, we say thank you, God, for everything that you have given to us and blessed us with. And for those of you that give online, that's the easiest way to give here, by the way. But for those of you that give online, thank you for being consistent in your giving and supporting what God is doing here. Okay, so we got our two visuals. We got mansions, neighborhoods, and cul-de-sacs. We have Superman, Wonder Woman, and, uh, and Captain America. The last picture that I want to give you is, is this. It's who we will be with, God, angels, and Jesus. The most important part of heaven, what is talked about that is most compelling, and I believe misunderstood, this side of heaven, is being in the actual presence of God himself, being in relationship with him in person. Revelation 3 Uh, Revelation 21, verse 3. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and he will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Jesus says to us in John 14, verse 3, he says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And I'm just telling you, those words are words of relationship. It's relationship. There is an intimacy in passages in scripture that we will have a closeness with God and his son, Jesus, God in the flesh. The prophet Isaiah, way back in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus showed up, gives us a glimpse into heaven in uh, Isaiah 25. He says, in the new Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies, which are angels, will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. He will swallow up death forever. 
The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken in that day. The people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. And I will just tell you, when this party happens in heaven, death is dead. Tears are gone. Sadness and mourning have no place at the table. It will be time to celebrate with people from every tribe, tongue, and nation from our past that have gone before us and and, and met Jesus. We'll feast with God. There will be unadulterated joy in heaven. No one will mock God ever again. No one will insult his name or his followers. He will only be honored in heaven. We will be in his presence with him in person. We will shout, this is our God in unity. We will be satisfied. The longings of our soul will be satisfied and fulfilled by God's presence. What will be gone forever? Depression will be gone forever. There will be nothing to be depressed about. Worry. There will be nothing to worry about in heaven. Anxiety. Despair. Just gone. Fear. You will never be afraid again. The weight of death and the decay of our bodies, weariness, concern about the future, selfishness, gone, greed, pain, suffering, illness, doesn't exist there. The highlight of a lot of these NDE stories um, is this mystical being of light. People that don't know, uh, they, they say they know it's Jesus, but they describe him as mystical being of light, fills them with a love beyond imagination. One of them that, um, that describes it, her name is Sama. She says, Um, She grew grew up in the Middle East. She said she found herself in the presence of love. Says he radiated an amazing love that contained deep acceptance. I felt neither condemnation nor shame. At first, I hardly dared to look at Jesus, but after a time, I felt my body being lifted up. Then I was standing before him. As he smiled at me, relief poured over my soul. Welcome home, Samah. He said in a voice sweet and gentle, yet also powerful, like the sound of many waters. He opened his arms to me. His beautiful eyes were like blazing fires of consuming love that overwhelmed me. Almost every story, people telling stories of just being in this place of acceptance and love. A woman named Crystal, she describes her experience of being in Jesus' presence. She says, what I experienced in heaven was so real and so lucid and so utterly intense, it made my experiences on earth seem hazy and out of focus, as if heaven is the reality and life as we know it is just a dream. It was a feeling of absolute purity and perfection of something completely unblemished and unbroken and being immersed in it filled me with the kind of peace and assurance I'd never known on earth. It was like being bathed in love. It was a brightness I didn't just see but felt and it felt familiar like something I remembered or even recognized. The best way to put it is this. I was home. Scripture tells us that we are, in fact, if you're a believer in Jesus, you're a citizen of heaven, that there is home. Could it be that when we get there, we'll just get this fullest sense of home that we've ever experienced? I want to invite the band out. Um, And my hope is that this is causing a paradigm shift for you. My hope is that this is adjusting um, heaven for you, where heaven is becoming a little more real, that maybe you're starting to go, man, maybe I do want to be there someday. Um, You don't want to miss it uh, because we really can set our hearts and minds on it. And I want it to be okay for you to dream about it. 
I want it to be okay for you to think about it and to actually find hope in heaven. In fact, John Burke in his book, uh, Imagine Heaven, he, he kind of finishes it like this. He says, because we can picture retirement, we will work for it, save for it, and sacrifice for it. There's nothing wrong with retirement, but it only lasts a few decades at best. What if we became people who have a vision for the ultimate life to come? What if it's true that this life is merely a tiny taste on the tip of our tongues of the feast of life yet to come? What if heaven is going to be better than your wildest dreams? And what if how you live really does matter for the life to come? That would change how we live, work, love, and sacrifice, wouldn't it? I want to give, um, give you some time to just digest the picture that was just painted, that I believe God painted for you. And I want to do it through a song that is played at um, so many of the funerals that I have done. It's a song that you've probably heard that's very well known. But I want you to listen to it through a little different lens, having talked about what we just talked about. And during it, I want to just ask you to let God speak to you and let God fill in some of the gaps in your view and vision of heaven while this song is being played. So I hope that this is a gift to you to get our minds wrapped around thinking about things above and not down here on earth below. Be able to 
know, the question with a message like this is, what do you do with it? This is great. We can think about it. We can visualize it a little bit better, but what do we do? And I'll just say this. There are some of you that are here, and you have not yet chosen to step across the line of faith and have your name written in the book of life. And I want to give you a chance to do that. You're invited. You're invited to spend eternity in heaven. All people are. So the action, the application to this message for you, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, is accept the invitation. He's already paid for your ticket. He died on the cross to pay for your sin, and all you have to do is accept it. You're not saved by being good. You're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. It's his grace freely given to you. And so I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. And if you never have, if you've never accepted Jesus and invited him into your life, I want you to do it. I want you to do it right now. But everybody in the room, would you just bow your head and close your eyes with me? And if you want to pray and accept Jesus, you can just make my words yours. Um, there's nothing special about the words. This really is the posture of your heart, so you can borrow my words, but say them to God. He's listening. He knows. You just say something maybe like this, God, today, I accept your invitation to heaven by inviting Jesus into my life. I believe that Jesus came to earth and died on the cross to pay for my sin. And I open my life to you. I invite you to lead and guide my life on this earth. And I thank you for saving me. Giving me an eternity in heaven with you. Help me live the rest of my days for you. In your holy name, amen. And I'll just tell you, if you prayed that prayer with me, Scripture tells us that your name is written in the book of life. And we'll talk about that a little bit next week, but you can walk out of here with assurance that God forbid something happened to you tonight. You can have assurance that you know where you're going. It's one of the reasons why we do what we do every single Sunday, because I want everyone to live with that assurance, that peace, that hope. But there's a second application point for all of us, and that is this. Store up treasure in heaven, not here on earth. Store up treasure in heaven. There's this incredible scripture where Jesus just tells us what you do here matters. Not to earn salvation, but there are rewards for those who live their life here well on earth. Matthew 6, verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What Jesus is saying, what you do here makes a difference there. It just does. There are certain things that will transfer from here to there. Now you will never see a hearse pulling a U-Haul trailer, okay? Nothing goes with you like that. But there are things that transfer. One, uh, how do you do that? How do you store up treasures in heaven? One is you live your life for God here. Live righteous lives. There's a reward on this planet for living righteously, and there's also a reward in heaven for living here righteously. Another one is how do you store up treasures in heaven? You tell people about Jesus. I'm just telling you, I think one of the greatest treasures in heaven are going to be the people that walk up to you there and look you in the eye and just say, thank you, I'm here because of you. I'm here because you had the guts. I'm here because you had the will. I'm here because you had the love to actually pray for me and invite me and talk to me about Jesus Christ. And because of that, I'm here now for eternity. 
that will be treasure in heaven. Anything you do for people that are needy or poor or, or, or need help, um, Jesus says, if you do that for them, you're actually doing that for me. It counts as if you were doing that to me. Help build the church. How do you store up treasure in heaven? You build a church that is strong, that is full of invitational people that love the world enough to save people from an eternity in hell and introduce them to Jesus Christ who can save them and give them the assurance of eternity in heaven. So store up treasures on earth. Look, heaven's going to be great, but while you're here, live on mission. You've got a job to do. You've got a mission, and that is to reach as many people with Jesus Christ, the truth of him, as you can. And so here's how I want to end the service. There are two things that I do in my life where I feel like I can experience a little taste of the presence of God. One is, is in my prayer time, when I actually sit down and spend time, a long time um, with God. You know, not, not like a few minutes. I mean like hours with God. And I do that, you know, relatively, um, you know, on, on, a, on a regular basis. But when I do, there always comes a moment where I just feel like God's presence just fills the room. But there's another way that I just feel like I experience God's presence here on earth. Just a taste of it. And that is when I am in the midst of singing worship. There's something about music that is um, designed to take us vertical when it's written towards God. A lot of music is horizontal, but there's vertical music that's written to kind of take our souls and pull them up and to pull God down here. And um, when I allow God to do that through music, I feel like I experience his presence. That's why we do worship almost every week. We do it every week because it's just a moment for us to experience the presence of God together. And so that's what we're going to close our service with. Um, I'd love to invite you to stand up. And um, when you are ready, I want you to just sing along with the band and maybe allow the music in this worship moment to, to take you a little bit higher because we are joining what's happening in heaven right now. Right now in heaven, there is worship going on and we're going to join them there with what we're doing here. And I believe God crosses over and can fill this place with his presence. So let's sing together.
yours is the kingdom forever. 